Hi everyone. The Conversation Weekly is taking a short break for a few weeks over August. So we're taking this opportunity to bring you an extended version of a story from earlier in the year about women who joined the militant Islamist group Al-Shabaab in Somalia, East Africa. Al-Shabaab is in a kind of violent stalemate with the Somali government and a coalition of foreign peacekeeping troops. There are frequent attacks and car bombs. And from its bases in Somalia, the Al-Shabaab has been recruiting people from the coastal region of neighbouring Kenya, including women. Fatima Azmiya Badoudin has interviewed some of these women to try and understand the complex dynamics surrounding their involvement in Al-Shabaab. What struck me when talking to Fatima was how dangerous her line of research is and how important it is for her to earn the trust of the people she interviews and their families. I'm Fatima Azmia. Uh, I work at the Department of Social Sciences, Technical University of Mombasa in Kenya. My study focuses on uh, recruitment of women and girls into extremist uh, networks such as the Al-Shabaab. And where am I speaking to you from today? From uh, Kenya. I'm based in Mombasa. Can you explain to, to our listeners who are Al-Shabaab and what is their kind of goal and what do they want as an organization? Al-Shabaab mainly is a transnational terrorist uh, network. It originates in uh, Somalia. So it's mainly a Somali-based uh, militant, I could say, insurgency group. And it spreads its influence in most of the East African regions and even beyond. So ideology is mainly to have a caliphate in the East African region. The primary areas of operation are Somalia, Kenya, Djibouti, Tanzania, Uganda, even today to a level like Mozambique. We're talking in March 2021, and, and Al-Shabaab has been in existence since the early 2000s. How much territory does it have, and what's the kind of balance of power between it and, and the Somali government? They have their bases. Today, true, we have a particular, we call it a sort of a transition government, but still Al-Shabaab becomes very strong in the southern areas, mainly because uh, of its uh, tax bases, their control. Okay, so they're more powerful along the southern part of Somalia, which is actually bordering Kenya. Your research is focused on coastal Kenya and, and kind of the northern bit of Kenya going down towards Mombasa, which is in the south of the country. Can you explain to me what kind of the dynamics are of this area that you research? So uh, my study is based on the coastal region of Kenya. This includes areas like Lamu, Kwale, Mombasa, Kilifi, because Kenya becomes a conducive ground for recruitment from this transnational extremist movement due to uh, the prevailing pockets of marginalized communities and also deprived situations, broken uh, state citizen relationships, youth unemployment, and also some underdeveloped areas. But today the trends are changing from what it was before. So it's not only the coast, but we also have other areas which are vulnerable for radicalization and recruitment. And your focus has been predominantly on, on women being recruited into the Al-Shabaab. Can you explain why is Al-Shabaab trying to recruit women? So like many other terrorist organizations or insurgency networks, Al-Shabaab also uses women and girls. So this is not something very new. But uh, the main reason why Al-Shabaab had this trend uh, emanating is because of uh, women's important roles and the need for their role in tactical operations. Like, for example, when the surveillance increased on men, naturally the trend was to have women now to carry out these activities so that they can bypass this surveillance. Women are more often looked from a passive view. 
of not being violent. So when they carry out activities, it's a shocking thing. And also, women and girls can perform many activities in their traditional roles and at the same time as in their combatant roles. Like in the camps, they can be cleaning, cooking, and uh, they can be combatants also. They can also be sent to Kenya to gather information or find certain things. They play a very important role in logistic support, like hiding members in their houses or weapons. Then they also become important in fundraising efforts to recruit other women and men because of their social interaction skills and their pivotal positioning uh, in families and the community. So women play a very important role in those contexts. Could you explain a bit about how you go about this research? It was very important for me to understand the person from their own cultural context. Uh, since I had stayed in the region for some time, uh, it did indeed help me to network in the community, build trust with specific community members. Uh, initially, it was a bit of hostile, but later people were opening up. Then I had to build a team of you know, community mobilizers. Then there were particular community-based organizations also that really assisted me once they knew that I was really uh, interested on exploring these areas, which were like gray areas at that particular time. So that was my starting ground on this topic. So I started with observing terror suspect trials. Then I used to go and talk to the parents, then ask for permission. Some would give, some won't give. You should get a startup interview you don't, uh, you know, directly ask questions. You just build the trust until the person itself feels like they are ready to talk to you. And I had to stay long periods of time in these communities so that I understand their perspective better. So you've built up this group of around 36 women that you've interviewed and, and you've written a number of, of academic papers about them. But your most recent paper has focused on on women who joined the Al-Shabaab voluntarily. Can you explain what is the difference between a voluntary and an involuntary reason for joining? When you look into voluntary recruitment, I look into it as women who join out of their sheer will. So this can be based because of they like the Al-Shabaab ideology. Or sometimes we have even women who go because of a group belongingness that you feel like it is a Muslim group, you have to be part of it, or you have joined with a friend. So those are mainly uh, the voluntary aspect. Then you have the involuntary recruitment. That is when women and girls are forced to join these networks, or those who join the groups are joining because of particular uh, receptive or intimidation strategies used by the Al-Shabaab network. You had these 36 women and then you picked up 16 of them who you can categorize as women who'd, who'd voluntarily joined the group. Can you explain what the main factors were for those women? When I made the selection of these 16, those are the women who were mainly inclined on building a caliphate, the ones who were completely uh, resonating with the ideology of the Al-Shabaab. They are very minority, but they play a very important role because they have prominent positions in the network because of their ideological resonance. Then you have another group that might join because of particular anger involved, like maybe they want to get revenge from the state. So because you're not strong as an individual, now you feel like joining the Al-Shabaab as a revenge motive. Then you have the third one, which I consider as the majority. So the third one is mainly in line with the circumstances based on their daily interactions 
with the family or your peers. Now, these relationships are very important because as a woman growing up in a patriarchal setting, you may be in particular dependency relationships, like you're dependent on your husband or a male relative, or it can be the aspect of she's really in love with him, so she doesn't want to lose him, or maybe because she's scared she may not have a man. And, you know, it also comes back to the economics with children. So sometimes you make your decision based on these dependency relationships. Seems like you're volunteering, but it has been shaped because of your family, your uh, circumstances, or you want to be your the obedient wife. So that is mainly the majority. And then you have the fourth one, uh, which is mainly focused on the camp. That is your voluntariness was based on the time you spent in the camp, the ideological trainings you underwent in the camp. Uh, maybe you joined involuntarily, but because of the ideological training that is being constantly given to you in the camp, now you have the voluntariness based on trainings you undergo. How do these circumstances and these factors, how do they influence what happens to the women um, once they've returned from the Al-Shabaab or once they decide to, to leave? And, and this, this question of, of reintegration. It takes a long time for you to get out of the ideology. It's not easy. So you may give them programs, you may put them into, you know, de-radicalization programs, but it takes a long time for you to, you know, dissect or get away from it and now come into a normal thinking pattern. But those who have gone involuntarily, maybe because of particular deceptive practices, such as maybe they were cheated via a job or some education scholarship or via particular PIMS or marriage models. So naturally now they are waiting to come and jump for a new life. So it's easier for them to be empowered in the sense economic empowerment projects, change them, give them some hope and now reintegrate them back to the community. It becomes a case-by-case approach in the reintegration process. And I wonder what significance your your findings have for Kenya in particular, the, the counterterrorism strategies and, and policies that the government is trying to put in place. I would say is the study would be more significant in uh, preventing and countering violent extremism because uh, the study tries to understand and place the role of women in radicalization and uh, recruitment. Your first, we should acknowledge there is a problem. Second, when you look into the topic of women in de-radicalization de- uh, or disengaging or reintegration, it's important to have this gendered angle because what fits men may not fit women. Then what measures can we take when you are trying to prevent women uh, getting into these networks, whether it is voluntary or involuntary? Like Then also, when it comes to voluntary, mainly with ideology, how can we respond to these ideological tenants that facilitate uh, voluntary recruitment, like, for example, misinterpreted Quranic verses. So those are some of the discussions we need with these young uh, women, uh, girls, so that they understand before they make a decision. So it comes back into these life skills, critical thinking, decision-making type of interventions that are needed. Just finally, what are you working on next? Are you still interviewing these women or are you moving to to look at other issues with Al-Shabaab? I'm still working with these women mainly in line with uh, the reintegration processes, but I'm also working on uh, the topic of boys, that is uh, the topic of masculinities, 
uh, in radicalization and recruitment with boys and men to see whether recruitment pathways are changing and whether these uh, trends are different for men and women. Okay, well, we'll look forward to reading about that in the future. Thank you very much, Fatima. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you too for having me. Fatima Badudin there at the Technical University of Mombasa. You can read a story that she wrote about her research on The Conversation. Find a link in the show notes. The Conversation Weekly will be back with a new episode on the 26th of August. In the meantime, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at TC underscore audio, on Instagram at theconversation.com, or email us on podcast at theconversation.com. The Conversation Weekly is co-produced by Mend Marawani and me, Gemma Ware, with sound design by Eloise Stevens. Our theme music is by Nita Sal. Thanks for listening.